0: and I'm not going to take it anymore, uh, has a particular resonance within my life. I was prone to liking films with, uh, with John Wayne in them growing up about the, the lone American hero, the good guy, the righteous guy who would get pushed and pushed and pushed and finally pushed too far and then he would retaliate with uh, maximum force and overcome the bad guys. And that is the rallying cry of all who feel wronged, all who feel unappreciated, all who feel taken advantage of. And as undeniably blessed as most of us as Americans are, it's a sentiment, it's funny, it's a sentiment that's easy to adopt for us. Even though we live in one of the most blessed societies, blessed cultures, technologically advanced with, with opportunities and abundance almost unparalleled in history, we still easily fall into that role of victim. We still easily fall into that role of someone who's been taken advantage of. And, uh, and it may be a little, I mean, it may be a little hard to admit, but those fantasies of revenge, those fantasies of taking, of being the avenger uh, are pretty easy to slip into, pretty easy to set our mind on. I mean, this weekend, look at this weekend, we're, our whole narrative, our whole story is one of, as a nation, throwing off an unjust ruler, throwing off an oppressive system, fighting for our freedom. It, it's something that's key to our identity as a people. And uh, if you don't think this, this is a, a deep theological thought, one of our teaching team, who's especially scholarly, pointed out that, um, damn it, I'm mad is actually damn it i'm mad spelled backwards. I know that's deep theological thought so just but meditate on that a little bit. <clears throat> it's another thing altogether however to admit that the reality of to admit the reality of oppression and injustice but then recognize God is our deliverer. Recognizing it's not us who throw off the yoke it's not us who free ourselves, but ultimately, always, if it is to be sustained, it is God who does that, God who throws that off. It is the Lord who administers, and and to recognize the Lord as the one who administers justice, who sets things straight, something different happens then. Something very different happens when we recognize and commit to the idea that it is God who avenges. It is God who delivers and not ourselves. It takes time, and it may on the surface seem similar, but the results, the fruits, the effects of it are very different. And I think as we do this, as we cultivate the gift of faith by practicing it, by recognizing God's presence in our deliverance and offering an appropriate response, we will be very different people. So pray with me if you would. God, without you, we have no hope. And even though it may, it may be easy to say the words, you are our deliverer, you the one who has come through, our actions give us a way that we're really impatient. We want to see it now, we want to do it ourselves, and we want to do it in our way. And when we don't get our way, we want to give up. So help us understand how seeing you as the one who delivers, you you as the one who sets free, actually builds our faith and how we can sing the songs and develop the practices that nurture, encourage that faith. As we walk through a world that is full of winners and losers, victims and victimizers, We need to see you as something more than that. We need to see ourselves as people who are called beyond that. And we need to understand what the kingdom means and how it ultimately, truly, and only is the thing that sets us free. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 129, we're continuing our Psalms of Ascent. We're continuing the climb this summer understanding what this meant for the people of Israel as they went and then what it means for us Psalm 129 starts they've kicked me around ever since I was young this is how Israel tells it they've kicked me around ever since I was young but they could never keep me down uh paraphrase as we talk through this um they've kicked us around long enough enough it's done they've kicked us around and then it's almost a rallying cry. Remember, these the people are singing it. This this could be kind of the chant as they were going up the song. It's like, come on, everybody, let's say it. They've kicked us around enough. Come on. They've kicked us around enough. I mean, that's that's what they're doing. That's what's happening in this psalm, is it's a call and response. It's an invitation to join in the chant, to join in the cheer with that. And then he goes on, the psalmist goes on, he says, They're plowmen plowed long furrows. This is a a visceral metaphor. Plowed long furrows up and down my back. Then God ripped the harnesses of the evil plowman to shreds. Oh, let all who hate Zion grovel in humiliation. Let them be like the grass in shallow ground that withers before the harvest. Before the farmhands can gather it in, the harvesters get the crop in, before the neighbors even get a chance to walk by and call out, congratulations on your wonderful crop. We bless you in God's name. Even before that, the crop withers and dies. This, friends, is a song of perseverance. This is a musical reminder that there was a time of real Systemic, sustained persecution and affliction, but also a tangible deliverance. We all need that reminder. It's not just Israel that needs to, one, recognize that bad stuff has happened, but two, that ultimately it is God who delivers. Because in that we find the strength, we find the vision, we find the imagination to continue forward even when we want to give up or take justice into our own hands and retaliate. We need a melody when we feel like our backs are being scarred and furrowed by oppression and enemies. Be they economic, physical, relational, whatever kind. We need the faith to both understand that testing happens, and for the faithful, it can be a source of refinement. Think of James 1. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, and I'm reading from the message here. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open, and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Or maybe we need to look at Hebrews 12. Do you see what this means? All the pioneers who blazed the way, all the veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it, strip down, start running, and never Quit. Listen, we only need those reminders when we're tempted to quit. We only need that encouragement to persevere when everything within us says, I don't want to persevere. I don't I don't see a way forward. How can I handle this? This is too much, I can't do it. It's too long, I can't make it. I'm all alone. Why try? We need these songs. We need these melodies. We thought about it, and you'll be encouraged this week, as you use the learning guide in your personal devotions and in your group meetings, to think of times where you have encountered trials, tests, where you've encountered obstacles that have actually turned out to build your faith. Times when, on the surface and at the moment that they happened, seemed unfair, unwarranted, un sustainable unendurable yet later on as you reflect back on them you see that built my faith that actually revealed what I needed that was the time that I saw God come through we need those songs to sing see because faith is a gift yes we know that like many things in the Christian life it's also a paradox though because while faith may start as a gift it doesn't grow that way. No one can grow your faith for you. We have to develop the practices. We have to develop the imagination. We have to develop the habits that nurture that faith. By the songs we sing, the stories we tell, the holidays we celebrate, the disciplines we develop. A faith that isn't cherished or attended to with these practices is a faith that will fall fallow, that has no roots, and then may ultimately die. So yes, faith is a gift. But also, yes, we are instructed to develop that, to practice that, to learn it as we go through. And having imagination and songs and stories are one of those disciplines that does that. This song that Israel's singing one, two, maybe three times a year as they go up is not of a faith that sits like the gilded King James Bible on the coffee table unopened and unread. I know that's not as popular now as it was when I was a kid. But when I was a kid growing up every religious church going home would would have this big gilded edged king james bible sitting in the center of their bookshelf or on their coffee table rarely opened that's not the faith that israel is singing about here the faith that they're singing about here is a trail map It is worn out, dog eared. It has notes scribbled in it and sweat stained trails put into it. That's a faith that's lived. That's the kind of faith that is being exampled here, and that's the kind of faith we must adopt. That's the kind of faith that has energy. And honestly, as we read the second part of the psalm, we see that energy come out. Oh, let those who hate Zion grovel in humiliation. Let them be like grass that is shallow ground and withers before the harvest. Before the farmhands can gather it in, the harvesters get in the crop. Before the neighbors even have a chance to congratulate you on what you're growing. And you know, as we prepared the lesson this week, a number of us sitting around the table, we go, well, that's... It's not a very Christian response. <laughs> I mean, wanting your enemies to wither up and blow away doesn't seem very Jesus-y. It doesn't seem like what we, how we should respond, does it, right? I mean, we follow a Messiah who says, pray for those who persecute you, right? Bless those who are your enemies. If they ask you to go one mile, go two you're forced into it. So, so what's going on here? I mean, it's in the Bible, right? So, well, while it may not seem a very Christian response here, it's also not apathetic. And it's also not a case of denialism or excuse making. And even if this may not be the perfect way to respond, at least it has energy. And it does avoid the two traps which I see us falling into often as modern Christians. In our response, not to be aggressive, not to be overly aggressive, not to, not to seem judgmental, we are often given to excuse-making. Oh, they didn't mean it. Or it really wasn't that bad. Or, you know... We'll get over it. And we never end up dealing with the magnitude of what is happening. We never end up calling the thing that hurts us what it is. Wrong. Evil. Intentional. And if we can't deal with reality about the things that hurt us, about the things that repress us, about the things that that threaten to overwhelm us, we will not ever see the deliverance of God with that. So while I'm not encouraging you to pray for your enemies to dry up and blow away, we can take note here to say we should likewise also not make excuses for it or deny that it exists as we go on with that. And as you read this, and again in the the learning guide this week, you're going to be asked to think, how do you respond to this? Do you, do you respond with the one oppressed, or do you respond with the oppressors here? Do you feel like you're being judged for something bad you did, or that you are having that done to you? There's more than meets the eye in this psalm. There's much more than we can cover in these brief moments this morning. This psalm is deep and visceral in its response to wrongdoing as well as to hope. And we need to explore those areas deeply as well. The last thing that we see here is that the God of the Jews, and we need to remember that this is in the context of a Jewish people, a specific nation, going up to worship a very specific God, the God of the Jews, the God of Israel, Yahweh. And the God of the Jews is the God who delivers. If there is any single characteristic, there's any single characteristic that stands out about the God that we worship. It is a God who delivers from oppression, from our own self-inflicted wounds, as well as those that we have been afflicted with by others. This is our God. In a very real way, just like Israel, we also have been delivered Jesus has broken the tools of the oppressor, set us free from the taskmasters of death, and Jesus sits victorious over all the foes of humanity, over all the foes of creation. While this, is, this psalm is set in a specific context at a specific time, we talked about this week, it's also a, it's also a broad history of Israel being sung here. That these afflictions, these taskmasters that furrowed the backs of the Israelites with oppressions, that God was delivering them, had brought them out of Egypt time and time again. had restored them from Babylon. Well, that story didn't end there. God didn't quit then. God continued and then ultimately broke the yoke of the oppressor destroyed the schemes of the enemy by sending His Son, Jesus. So we, likewise, even though we're not going up to the temple, we can sing this song as believers because of what Jesus has done, is doing, and will ultimately complete. Humanity's invitation is to proclaim with ardor and enthusiasm, enough! Enough! Yes. But to proclaim it without anger or animosity, not with the vile venom of victimhood or the abusive anger of the avenger, but with the redemptive energy of the delivered, with the complex yet ultimately, joyfully resounding, Hallelujah! Our God saves. Let the world rejoice and know the salvation of Jesus the Messiah. Do not give up in proclaiming the deliverance of Jesus to the world and to yourself. You have been delivered. You have been set free. You have been redeemed. Jesus has provided everything we need. This psalm paints a vivid picture of God as our deliverer, of all who opposed and continue to oppose Jesus as drying up and blowing away, while the faithful put down deep roots and produce a rich harvest. Recognizing this allows us to embrace the disciplines, the practices, the songs, the imagination that fosters a vibrant and life-giving faith. It also allows us to experience the full range of emotion and energy in response to suffering and to blessing while not becoming vindictive or oppressive in return. Maybe that's, maybe that's why we do this every week. Maybe that's why we come to the table every week is to celebrate, is to remember, is to see salvation that has been provided to us not by further oppression but by a very real salvation through submission we see the broken body of Jesus we see the poured out blood and we take that into us as our own experience knowing that likewise we are being delivered with that so I want to invite the worship team to come up as we transition into this time of offering of communion, of reflection. Listen, God's not, God's not trying to get us to deny anything. We don't have to cover for God by making light of our pain, of our hurt. We don't have to make excuses for that. But likewise, we can never respond With the same anger and aggression that caused us that pain. That afflicted it upon us. No, Jesus took that. He took it all on the cross. So that we could participate in the salvation that He provides. Without becoming like those who oppressed us. So come take this table today knowing that that has been done. That God has delivered you. He has delivered us. And He offers that deliverance, that salvation to us as a gift to be celebrated and proclaimed throughout the world. Thank you for being here this morning.